1: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjog Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjog Gall.
2: Hello, and uh, welcome to the segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And the topic for today is from selling to solving. And our guest for today's show is Ron Guerrero, who is the Chief Information Officer for Express Scripts. Hey, Ron, how are you? I'm doing okay. Yourself? Very good, sir. Very good. Honor to have you. And the reason we wanted to get together is to discuss an interesting area which always exists in organizations. So I'll just lay it out. People love to buy, but they hate to be sold to. This concept is understood by many, but still, there are organizations and individuals within those organizations and groups and departments somehow feel that if you push hard, you will get your numbers up, your top line will grow. But at the end of the day, with so much changing in the way customers are keeping themselves informed, the options they have, and their expectations... This could only go so far because there are always choices. So our goal here today was how do we move organizations and the culture and people within it in such a direction where they are not focused on just selling or sales, instead in solving people's problem because then sales will come because the people would love to buy. That said, uh, Ron, my first question is, what do you think is the recipe which will make people come to you versus you having to sell? Why do we have a sales department in the first place? What should it be changed to so that it becomes a buyer facilitation department?
3: So, oh, Sanjay, that's a, that's a great million dollar question. Um, I'm happy to answer it. Some of my thinking on this response is based off of working uh, 20 years with Toyota corporate, um, the corporate offices. And uh, Toyota has a very distinct approach to supplier management. Um, it is a mutual arrangement. I benefit, you benefit, we benefit. And through those 20 years, I've kind of, kind of hardened my thinking on that. After that, I joined Farmer's Insurance Group, and now I'm with this great company, uh, Express Strips. And so... The way I always see it is the sales part of it, the hard push has never, ever worked for me personally. It, it is a little bit overbearing. It comes across, in some cases, unfortunately, desperate. And what you don't want to do is partner with someone that comes across in a desperate manner, or they think, or they're approaching it as if they have the Swiss Army knife of all fixes. My solution will fix every problem you had and every problem you didn't know you even had. And uh, that's a little off-putting, for one. Uh, The second one is if the sales department would think of itself as a solutions department, that will go a long way, understanding specifically what my need is. Hypothetically, I have back pain. Please don't provide me a solution for an ankle injury, as a a weird example. Um, I'm looking for something specific for back pain. What can you do to provide that? And so that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a partner or a supplier partner that could help me solve my solutions, the, uh, the challenges that I have. And, uh, and be honest. If you're not really good at fixing a certain thing, say straight up, sorry, this is not really our wheelhouse. However, this is what we can do for you. Please keep us in mind when that is the thing that you're looking for. Um, so for me, that transparency and that honesty um, really goes a long way.
2: See, such a great answer that you provided, and the clarity was very obvious because you were able to see yourself in the buying shoes and very clearly articulate what you would have expected from your suppliers. Now, if you were to flip this and you become a supplier or someone who has something to offer to someone else, it's interesting to note that in many organizations – The same mistakes are repeated, even though the expectations from the people who are selling to you or you're buying from, you're clear, but when we end up trying to offer our services or solutions or products to someone else, we end up getting into that, not exactly greedy mode, but more into getting from people versus helping them offer value, which in turn will result in them becoming our customer. So where is the disconnect? Your, your, do your supplier management people end up being more intelligent and more level-headed than the people who are tasked with going and generating revenue?
3: That's a, that's a great question. And, and it's, the hard part of that is it's a couple of things I see. One, the supplier folks that are on my side, I see my supplier procurement team as our brokers, if you will. I want to purchase a home. I don't talk to the seller of the home. I go through my broker, and they kind of work on, on the T's and C's, kind of the generalities. The And then what I do is I come in, and we have a relationship that we build, and we, lack of a better term, use our supplier and partner, our procurement team, as bad cop, good cop, bad cop. And I think everyone understands it somewhat of the dynamic. Um, but I think what usually happens is when there's revenue pressures on the sales team, um, and we as a buyer know there's revenue pressures, that's when we start kind of just getting things or doing things that are just not in the best interest of the organization. Here's a quick example of that. I, after 25 plus years in the industry, I know for the most part when a uh, fiscal year closes or quarter closes for some suppliers. And I know roughly two weeks prior to that, they give me the 80% discount. Um, And there's a smorgasbord of things that I could get for 80% off because they're trying to hit a number. Me, as a buyer, um, I tend to get really, you know, my eyes get all wide open. Oh, my God, such a great deal. I only need two products from them but to give me a gravy deal on eight others that I don't really need but I might need one day. So I go ahead and buy everything. And then I'm left with the two that I wanted, eight that I didn't really need. And then within a year, I get pressure from my CFO saying, hey, Ron, why do we have these 10 products? We only needed two. Those other eight were paying licenses, but no one's using them. Um, What's going on? So it creates this weird dynamic where the sales group, they sold and they got a good sale because they made the month-end close or whatever. Um, Me as a buyer, I got a whole bunch of good stuff. Some of that I can't even use. Now I'm getting pressure internal, and it looks like being wasteful of our our funds. So there's just something that happens. It's the euphoria of closing the deal, but are we doing what's right for our customer? So, quickly on that one, our customers at Express Scripts are patients, um, doctors. Am I doing what's right for the patient and the doctor? I should always have that in mind as a buyer, and I would really appreciate if the sales group that I'm buying from also appreciates who we're trying to service. It, It helps a great deal in our discussions and our negotiations to make sure that we are focused on the right things. As opposed to, lack of a better term, I'm borrowing a term from D.C., pork barrel spending. I'm buying stuff because it just happens to be available. Um, I think we all can be smarter and it builds a stronger rapport between the buyer me and the salesperson, whether it's a technology salesperson or a supplier salesperson.
2: So what you mentioned here, it's an interesting dynamic. Now, when you look at the salespeople who would like to have a killer quarter and they will find their way through uh, to somehow sell to, to to the people who may who may or may not need that solution or in additional the other additional products that they end up selling. But this behavior is somewhere coming from the expectation because you're only measuring that sales group based on the dollars that they bring. Versus the qualitative experience and satisfaction, it seems like the customer satisfaction is somebody else's responsibility within an organization, and salespeople only get their bonuses because they brought a certain amount of revenue. So how do you expect that behavior to be instituted in an organization when your measures of performance and rewards and that metric is not aligned? So my quick thought
3: on that is attaching an NPS. So let's just say that a salesperson 20-30% of their comp is held in reserve and somehow there's an NPS score that's rendered 6 months later, whatever the time frame that is, and then you get those additional 30% of your comp based on the NPS. Were they satisfied with what they bought the solution and it gives them uh, a vested interest to make sure they're selling the right tools. And it gives the customer a uh, satisfaction that that salesperson does have my best interest in mind because in six months from now, um, a survey will go out and, and that promoter score will show, yes, I am a promoter of kind of the services and that individual or no, I'm a detractor and I am what I, what I purchased was not what I needed and they didn't do a good job understanding my needs. So for me, that's, that would be the way I would potentially address that. Um, and on the flip side, in my technology shops, what we do as part of our compensation package, since it's at my pass role, uh, our net promoter score to our employees and to our agents was tied to our bonus. So we could think we're doing a phenomenal job. And then we go out to visit, one of our customers, and we realize what they're using is not what was intended, that NPS has a bearing
2: on my count package at the end of the year. Um,
3: And it does change behavior. It does change the way that you approach a problem.
2: And is that NPS that you referred to, Net Promoter Score, is that an objective measure, or is it something which, when you're offering, suppose you go to a salesperson or a sales group and say, we're going to attach this as part of your calculation of the bonus – and if it is not a, a hard math, if you will, then there would be a pushback because what they love is money. They came here to make money and not to, I mean, I'll not say they are not good people, but then they are going to look at the measure which is directly attributed to them. And they would not say that they are the only people responsible for improving the net promoter score. And why should that be a measure in how much money they take home? How do you, how no, do you no, tackle I, that? And so
3: what, what I would say to that one is, some of it is subjective,
2: um, full transparency.
3: But what I'm learning more and more, again, this is a quarter century in this game, is um, it's a very small community. It's an extremely small community. CIOs talk all the time. There's a network. We all talk. We chat. We meet at conferences. We share notes. Hey, this worked well. Or, this didn't work well. And we do talk. And so there is definitely the subjective side of our organization and of our industry where you do have to make sure that there's a constant deliverable and you are satisfying the the customer needs beyond just, okay, did you did you save the customer 10% on a deal? Yeah, that's great. But ultimately, was the solution you sold them something that's tangible, something that's real, and something that's added to value? The value play is extremely important. And uh, so that the dynamics of that, the math, the calculus, definitely would have to be worked out. But I can assure you that um, the community is a lot smaller than many people think. We do talk. We do share notes. A CIO at one location eventually becomes a CIO at another location, and they bring some of their likes and dislikes to that new org as well. Um, it's just nature of the beast for the most part.
2: And would you think the people who you have, whosoever you inherit, you can transform them into thinking uh, in the direction that you want them to go, or, or is it, does it require a cleanup and restart?
3: It's, it's a great question. For me, it, it depends. Some,
2: like when I land at a certain location,
3: I always come in agnostic. I, the way I approach it, I want to understand context. Why do we use that technology stack? Why do we partner with that supplier? Is there a long history with this? Is there a long history with that? I always want to understand the context. And then after so many months, you know, your first 100 day plan, you start really understanding okay, here are the pain points, here are solution providers that I've used in the past that could potentially address it. Some CIOs might come in and say, well, I've always done well with company X and hell or high water. I'm just going to use company X. So it kind of depends on the persona of the CIO or the leader in the time. But I believe the best CIOs, in my opinion, and this is clearly where I want to aspire to get to, um, is I want to understand the wants and needs of the business unit, the, the customer we service, and also the technology team that I inherited and get all that into play and truly get diversity and thought and discussion before I say, okay, effective immediately we're using supplier B. Um, I, that's just not my approach. Um, but some do that. Um, but it, there is a evangelizing that CIOs need to do as to why they believe this service provider or the solution is best for this certain organization. Again, not every tool is appropriate for every, um, situation. So, uh, we have to really understand that as CIOs and, and technology leaders.
2: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the customers today or the prospects. So they are far more enlightened uh, than yes. we may think. And their expectations are uh, somewhat different or maybe more than what you had in the past. Now, if we had to get them to move in that buy cycle, I will stop using the word sell, but in buy cycle... What could we do so that we create trust, we impress them, we intrigue them, and we inform them? What what should be the change or how do we elevate the level at which we used to engage with them for us to tackle and rather get them as our customers or retain them as our customers for the long haul? What does it take? So please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore.
0: Visit today.
1: Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit BlackBerry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back. So, we were talking about the level of sophistication, the level of enlightenment the customers or the prospects in today's day and age have re- reached. So, we got to impress them, we have to intrigue them, we have to educate them. But, what's the benchmark that we are aspiring for so that we are ahead of the customers and create and are, have the ability to create an environment where they are willing to buy from us versus? same old, same old. And we just kind of negotiate on price because we cannot show value. What are we doing? Where, where are we? Uh, how are we elevating our game, if you will? Ron? So, as you asked the question, I, I have my
3: clearly as the buyer lack of a better term as a CIO perspective, but I also see where the suppliers on the other end have adjusted and made changes, and I've seen where Some haven't. So what I usually do in in past lives, and I'll do it definitely here in my current role, is something called Supplier Day. And what I do at Supplier Day is I invite our top suppliers that we have, and we go through all our challenges for the upcoming year. And here are the challenges we have. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. And then we give the suppliers, and then they bring in two or three representatives. Usually they don't really talk because they're competing as well. They come back and they say, okay, for that particular issue, this is a solution we have. That's my way as a customer to be a little bit more strategic and very, sorry, surgical in giving them our problem statement. And then this is for the supplier to come and give me a very surgical response as opposed to a shotgun response. So that makes sure that the conversation is a lot more solution-based. And what I've seen is suppliers who understand that they, they do mock-ups. They create small little use cases that are really applicable to my needs, right? They use dummy data, of course, but say, hey, here's a use case and how our solution can fix it. While other suppliers um, act more like vendors. And the way I describe a vendor versus a supplier is a vendor is a one-time transaction. The vendor wants to give me 15 cogs, widgets, whatever. I pay for 15 cogs, widgets, whatever. They're on their way, I'm on my way. It's just a transaction. It's like buying a hot dog at a baseball game. Um, A supplier relationship is a little different. Um, They kind of get my wants and needs. I look at the quality of their work, and we have a conversation, and you build a rapport over time. They give me two or three widgets. We talk about it, the quality of it. Then later, I might need ten more widgets. I will go to that one supplier because they have truly proven that they care about my needs, and their quality definitely is up to snuff. And so that builds a rapport that's long-lasting as opposed to that vendor who's only worried about the widgets he sells me at that point in time. So where I find it is that where suppliers definitely understand the customer and they take the, the added um, effort to do the mock-ups, to do the use cases, to go to the customer's lab, which we ha- most customers now have anyway, and you can show those use cases. Because as a CIO, you definitely have to kind of – lack of a better term, win me over that you could get the job done. But more importantly, I have to turn over to my head of sales, head of marketing, um, our digital team, um, even our attorneys nowadays, that this is something that's in the best interest of the company. I think sometimes the supplier community forgets that in some cases the CIO is the intermediary with the rest of the C-suite, and we have to be able to kind of tell a good story. The one thing I'll say before I close on this one topic is the one thing that just is the bane of my existence (laughs) is when the supplier community feels, technology suppliers, I'm talking about, feel it's okay to go ahead and do an end-around around around the CIO or the IT leadership team as opposed to working with. Because when you do the end-around, you reach out straight to the CFO or the CEO. I guarantee you nine times out of ten, there's a great rapport between that C-suite and the CIO. All they're going to do is go back to the CIO and say, hey, I just got the solicitation. What do you think? Right? That's not the way you build a good rapport. The way you build a good rapport is you talk to the individual on the C-suite that is responsible for that domain, and you work with them. So I just wanted to add that because that's something that has worked well but also has worked really poorly when those end-arounds do happen.
2: And you are totally right about it. This is a great message for all the technology solution providers who will end up listening to it as to how to work together with the IT leadership, which will actually benefit them. That's great. Now, coming to the the prospects that you are approaching or the existing customers you're trying to retain as as an organization – When you know what you need, you can deal with your suppliers well and you can coach them and educate them. But that's not always going to be the case when you're dealing with your own prospects and customers. And that means you're going to navigate through some uncertainty, some darkness, some uh, vagueness about what would pull them in. So are there certain things done using technology, using process change, using any culture shift which you feel in your experience has done made a dent, a big dent in what the outcome you were expecting?
3: Yeah. Um, so again, 20 years, my DNA is Toyota blood. Um, and there's terms that I picked up over the years from trips to Japan and what have you. But one of them that's always resonated with me is a term called Genchi Genbutsu. Genchi Genbutsu means go look, go see. And it is, kind of a Kaizen approach to things. Um, what I do in any role that I've been in is I go out to the customers and just like the suppliers to solicit what my wants and needs are and my challenges, I do the same thing as a CIO to the customers I service. So as an example, at Express Scripts, we have well over 3,100 clients. These are from Fortune 500 companies to small companies that leverage our services. And so we have advisory boards, and as recently as last week, we had an advisory board on the West Coast, and we sit there and we talk about our technology strategy and the platforms they sit on, and I solicit from them what's working, what's not working. Does this meet your need, um, for example, or we know in a digital world, batch doesn't work. So we're trying to go more real-time as much as possible. Here's our transparent challenges, and here's where we're going, and will this work for you as a client? And just having that rapport, having those Q&A sessions, being transparent on our challenges definitely builds up the rapport with my client base. So I want to make sure that they feel that we have their best interests and we're hearing their challenges so we can cater our solutions to them. And then I take those learnings from my client base, and when I have a supplier day or I talk to a supplier, I'm giving them relevant feedback from what's not Ron's perspective, but what other clients of mine really feel about the solutions we provide them. So there's that brokering that we have to do, and I think it's a really important job of any CIO or any technology leader, understanding that Genchi Gambutsu, how are they leveraging the technology today? So the reason I bring this up is um, my first job at Toyota, full, full transparency, I was a repo guy. I was in 1996. My job was to knock on doors and say, hey, you got a car, you don't. You got a payment, you don't. I need the car back, and it's a tough conversation, but it has to be had sometimes. And um, there's been times where my device that's in my hand gave me the wrong VIN, the wrong number for the vehicle, and I inexplicably picked up the wrong car. And again, this was rare, barely ever happens, but it did happen back in 96. And so for me, it's very important that at the point of contact with the customer, the solution has to be right, um, has to be accurate, and has to be customer-centric. And that is one of my jobs is to translate what the customer needs are to the supplier community, and the best suppliers and partners I've had are the ones that understand that and truly are empathetic to it and try and give me the right solution. So that brokering that I role, what role I play, is very important to the supplier community. And those that listen the best are the ones that have those long standing relationships. And I've had relationships for plus 18 years now because they've understood that um, they've listened. And more importantly, they said, hey, Ron, we're really not good at this, this area. Uh, we're not going to bid on this right now. This is just not what we're good at. Um, but when there's something in our wheelhouse, we'll definitely be there for you. And I appreciate that candor.
2: So when you're looking at the very product itself, let's actually take a break when we come back. But I'd like to still uh, share the question, which we're going to discuss here is the product itself or a solution itself which is being sold or being bought. Now, the thing is, we have seen organizations working very hard on their sales teams and service teams, etc., but the very product or solution itself looks like the one which is looking for a problem to solve. So, when when the the base product has an issue, then all of this other you know, detail or, or the investment that's been made in pushing that product is essentially you're spending more money than you should to create the value that you should. Where do we align, on one hand, the, the customer relationship and the sales, but also the product development or the solution development people such that at the end of the day, the value which is perceived by the prospect or the customer who you're trying to retain is Going to eventually will will be the best when you have the product which is a good fit. So where is this product and solution development and improvement process get aligned, and where do you think technology can help in bringing all of these different constituents together for an organization such as yours, which you are where you are currently or in the past when you worked? Please, your listeners will be right back.
1: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with
2: Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, with this, actually, um, the trends that we see nowadays, that everything is evolving, we are in this digital race, and organization, at least from the technology standpoint, I can relate to, and I'm sure you can too, Ron, is people are launching products and solutions just to stay in the game and, and come across as being relevant. But those solutions and products don't really add much value or they are looking for a problem. And then there is a pressure created for their salespeople and then also the executive management, while they would tell the world that, okay, we have launched this series of products, but they are also failing miserably. And that's not just in technology. It's happening all over. So as you say, that product and solution, a good one should sell itself. But in many cases, it's not. So where are we going wrong? And how do we bring all of these different pieces of the puzzle together so the customer is eventually served well? How can we bring them together and where can technology help?
3: Um, That is, again, another phenomenal question in that the product, so let's just say that there's a widget being built. And I think the first thing is that product has to clearly meet the need of today but it has to have a roadmap to evolve with the needs of tomorrow. And I think everyone would agree with that statement, right? Um, I'm into classic cars, muscle cars. That's great at the time, but today with um, Department of Transportation rules, I need seatbelts and I need airbags. So products evolve by nature, good products that are long-lasting. And so my thought on that one is that given that we're in a very dynamic, extremely dynamic technology era, right, and it's so only gonna get even more exponential, those products have to be able to um, grow and connect to other products. Because when I say that is back in the day you could just you know, you buy a server and that's what you have. But now as you know, everything has interconnectivities amongst them. So your product has to be like a better term, somewhat agnostic to the connection points, one. But also you have to be able to demonstrate a product roadmap. And I think as customers and clients, um, we could actually share kind of where we want to take a solution or we want to take an an experience for a customer. And the product that's being sold to us hopefully is aligned with that. That's the first thing. The second thing, I've been at, you know, I've visited Silicon many times and there's a lot of startups, right? A lot of great ideas out there. And a lot of those ideas um, were one-time great ideas, but again, the challenge is can they grow and evolve uh, along the way? Um, If you can't do that, if you don't have a product that does that, there are bigger, larger organizations that will hear that idea, and then they will actually not only make it better, but they'll be able to take that idea and that concept and plug it into their suite of tools as well, or they'll just acquire you. So the product truly is at the heart of what we're talking about. Sales is extremely important. Um, the marketing aspect is very important. But without a good product, um, it's a lump of coals, in my opinion. And that should get political, but coal is not really going anywhere for long-term future use. Um, but we'll talk about an abacus. The abacus of yesterday is not going to be the abacus of tomorrow. Um, so we really have to make sure we, as a customer, inform the supplier community where we want to go, but the supplier community has to listen to where we want to go and hopefully cater their tools and their products accordingly.
2: And so so you do refer to the supplier community and we ourselves are a supplier to someone else. So if we were yeah. to look within and you as a technology leader, are you invited to help streamline communication, collaboration, product development it's the feedback from customers and everything else, leveraging technology in some way, so that at the end of the day, your product evolves to something which will sell itself, as you rightly said.
3: Yeah, yes, yeah, that's the direction. And the one thing I would also say is, as technologists, our um, our role is far greater, in my opinion, than just the technology solution. It is the process that goes around the solution. So. Quick example, if I join an organization and they do 10 steps to deliver a certain solution or a product to my clients, my job is to challenge, do we need 10 steps? Can we do it with seven? Can we do it with five? Can we do it with one? And then find the technology um, that could actually optimize that experience. Um, so it's a little bit of both the technology play, but also the process play. So I'll say a supplier, and I'm a supplier, again, to my clients, is to find ways to make life easier, make it simpler. Um, That's extremely important. The user experience has gotten really easy where my daughter um, could create a website in 10 minutes and it costs pretty much nothing. I tell my client that, oh, you want a website? Well, it's going to cost you $20 million and it's going to take a year and a half. I better have a good reason why it costs that much and why there's so many steps. I should be trying to make it of more efficient and more cost-effective to my client base, and ergo, through the value chain, my suppliers should also
2: do the same. So, if we are going to look at the different avenues where we are going to capture the information with respect to sales interactions, and like for example, we use a lot of CRM systems and Salesforce integration systems, but then those become more transactional in nature but then it doesn't have or, or would you say the technology has reached a point where whatever notes that a salesperson puts in there or customer service puts in there we could use some intelligence or we can call out some insights from it to understand what does this customer want and let it not be subject to an individual's opinion but essentially getting into the heads of your customers which not only tells you how to approach them, but also take it all the way back to what that product and solution should be so it's not developed because a product manager thought this is the feature and function we should have. Let it come from some primary data shared directly or indirectly through the interactions we've had with these prospects and customers we're trying to retain.
3: Absolutely. Um, That feedback, that data point is crucial. And the other thing on the product, though, is I would make sure the product um, thinks of a solution or a problem state of tomorrow. Um, You know, fixing something of today is great, but if it also is forward thinking, um, that's even better. Um, It should be something where – take a step back. The supplier community, those that actually, lack of a better term, wow me, are the ones that really challenge on the art of the possible. You know why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? And my product can do that. And I'll give you an example of where it's done it. Um, I think goes a long way when it comes to the dialogue between like myself and the supplier. But also, given I've been in automotive, auto finance, um, insurance, PNC, and now healthcare, um, look across industries. I think sometimes the product is focused siloed to an industry or solutions. I look to an industry. But what I've learned through my experiences is you can learn so much more just looking across the, uh, across the fence at another industry and say, how did they solve for that? Right. Um, like finance has a whole bunch of regulations, right? Healthcare has a whole bunch of regulations. However, at the end of the day, we're trying to get data, um, and information to our clients in a trusted manner, um, That's important to both industries. How are they doing it across the aisle, and how can I do it as well? And a product that actually can look across the aisle and a solution provider can do that um, goes a long way because there's a a hardened use case that it can be done. Um, And that's what interests me on a strong product and a strong supplier that is able to do that.
2: And, you know, when we talk about successful companies, they are mostly when they have a lot of repeat customers, not just selling one widget and be done. So if we are to make an organization or or build a sustainable organization which has a long list of customers who keep buying, a lot of different pieces have to come together. So if you were to wear your technology leaders hat and say, this is gonna be my playbook of supporting the business in this, achieving this end goal, what would the chapters of that playbook look like?
3: Whoa. Okay. So I won't go through chapters one through 50. We don't have time for that, but I'll give you the abridged cliff notes. Um, so the first chapter is just get to know the the customer, get to know the needs and wants, which is what we discussed earlier on the, on the, on the talk. But the other one would be to, um, the transparency, the honesty of what the product can do, what it can't do goes a long way. It will get exposed in due time if it can't do a certain thing. Um, But the one thing I'd say above all when it comes to building a sustainable relationship and growing your revenue and growing your your customer base, more importantly, retaining the customers you have, there's certain companies, I won't name them, but they are amazing at this. They use customer testimonials in a way to sell the product. They – invite CIOs, IT folks, marketing people, digital folks, uh, to conferences, to discussions, and it's just a dialogue. This is what works for me. This is how this product helped my needs. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a peer just like you, um, and it has worked for me. So I'm not here to kind of sell the product. I'm just telling you my experience with the product. Um, that goes a, that goes an extremely long way um, from the buying side of the house because... I'm not just hearing a salesperson talk, I'm hearing someone who has the same pain points, experiences, challenges I have, and they're telling me that this product or this tool or this service has met my needs and I am very satisfied. That is like a live NPS right in your face telling you, hey, I'm a promoter and I'm so confident in this product I purchased from the supplier that I'm willing to stand in front of you and tell you my experiences. The good ones, along with the bad ones. And I think Those suppliers that have mastered that, um, they build, they retain, but they also build uh, in a different way. And I see it to be very successful.
2: So everyone in an organization should essentially be a salesperson who, who, whenever touch the customers or prospects, they should be able to, or they should be enabled and empowered to get them to make a buying decision. That means I'll just take an example of, say, a service technician the person who may be coming in for a post-sales service. That person, essentially in today's world, is mostly measured on how well did you solve a problem versus them being extended or their training be extended to help them show more options to that customer that not only do you solve the problem that they had currently, but also put a seed in their head To say, hey, how about this? Without coming across as that, hey, you did not come here to solve my problem, but instead trying to sell me more. As someone who's a value creator on behalf of the company, is like a brand ambassador and does the things which essentially converts that customer to be giving us even more revenue. But we in that process, the technologies that we give that individual to do their job they are not being aligned to make that individual a touch point with that end prospect or a customer to be able to increase the the sales, the increase the lifetime value of a customer. Is this done by design, or is this like an opportunity which can be leveraged by organizations and technology can help here?
3: I think it's a great opportunity, and I'll, I'll as you spoke, I was thinking about the Ritz Carlton approach to customer services, which is legendary. And it's the same way Disney approaches things, is that every person that works on their property, any cast member, if you will, at Disney, um, every interaction is an experience. Every interaction is a, uh, a brand. You're a brand ambassador no matter what you do. And so in the supplier community, um, let's just say there's a product. I bought the product from you two years prior, and we're having an outage. And I'm not naive to know that we have outages. It happens, it's the nature of the beats, and our job is to address those and hopefully root cause it and mitigate it. But when there's an outage, what you want is the supplier, you know, now you're beyond the sales, right? You now have a relationship with the supplier. And when an engineer from the supplier is on a call or we're working on things, a supplier who, you know so backed off, the Wizard of Oz role um, is engaged. Are they engaged? Do they care about my needs? Are they responsive to an outage? I think a lot of suppliers, not a lot, I wouldn't say that, several suppliers don't see that interaction. Once they've sold it, they've moved on to the next conquest, which is I understand that. But there has to be a sense of ownership throughout the organization to say, okay, every interaction is a sales opportunity. It's not like a sales opportunity that I'm selling you something at this point, but I'm also selling you an ongoing um, brand. My brand is responsiveness. I'm interactive, I'm proactive, I'm I'm providing a simple solution. It has to be kind of systemic throughout the organization. Just like at Ritz-Carlton, it doesn't matter if you're the doorman, it doesn't matter if you're the front desk clerk, or you're the valet. If you come with a question, if they don't have an answer for you, they will literally walk you down to the person who has the answer and do that handoff. And I know it's a little daunting, because a lot of times, it's a lot of transactions that happen, Instilling that sense of ownership throughout your organization on the sales side is extremely important. In my world right now, from my client support people to my CTO to myself, every interaction we have with a client um, is important, and we want to put our best foot forward to show that we definitely care about their needs and wants. It's such a personalized environment we live in. Digital has allowed us to do that, but the human interaction has to be as personalized as the digital interaction that we. We profess so i think that's an extremely important point you just brought up
2: let's take a quick break listeners when we are back let's talk about how organizations can balance between shareholder expectations and what the customers want please stay tuned we'll be right back
0: Visit today.
1: Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sanjo Gall. Now back to the show.
2: Welcome back. So we are talking about making the customer feel good about how we approach them, and then help solve their problems in the process, make them as happy buyers, and and that's of course the right thing to do. Now also we have shareholders to take care of, and Wall Street in a, in case of a public company, that they that we are we are not being hit there. So how in your view, Ron, can organizations? deal with sales numbers which need to keep going up and up and at the same time helping customers stay loyal and and be happy with that experience we are offering them. That is, again,
3: a fundamental, it, it can be seen, my quick thoughts on that are, it can be seen as two totally diametrically opposing forces. right? I want to make sure I maximize shareholder value um, but I also want to maximize the experience of my client base. And my take on it, again, this is my opinion, is that if you focus on the, the client side and you ensure that you create raving fans, you create loyal, retained customers, um, the revenue will come. And that revenue, hopefully, will build upon... Bring in even more clients, so your revenue, sorry, your, your retention stays hopefully and grows, but you also bring in and conquest more, um, and that will in turn will create and kind of uh, create more shareholder value. Um, but I think in the time that we're in today, with um, social media, with public sentiments, and how things are um, quick tickers because information is just so readily available now, uh, shareholders how do I put this? Shareholders definitely want to increase their value and all that stuff. But I think there's also something that's changing a little bit is we also want to make sure that we're uh, shareholders of companies that are doing the right thing. They, they care, they have a mission. Um, and sometimes in some cases, and I won't call out the specifics, but sometimes in lieu of increased revenue or increased share of value, um, the company just does the right thing. And it, while it might give a blip short-term to the shareholder value, there's a long view as to some of those decisions. So, um, again, I could cite some of them specifically, but I'll go down that path. But some major companies have made some, lack of a better term, controversial decisions, but they did it for social consciousness or they did it because they felt it was just the right thing to do in lieu of shareholder value. And they really feel confident that their, um, their value story will stay intact and it's more of a strategic play. Um, so it's very complicated, I would say, to close it up. But I think if done right, you could actually maximize both
2: um,
3: with the right messaging.
2: And with what all we are trying to accomplish as an organization, which requires a cultural shift, a different way of managing things, looking at things, and the leadership mindset, So if you were to articulate or rather outline for the listeners the kind of leadership style and approaches we should use to get to a point where the whole organization, every department, every individual, starts focusing on solving versus selling, what would that look like? So the
3: way we've approached it in my current role and in in past roles is, and this is just, maybe this is just my style, and sometimes you take the style of the person who leads you at the time, but mine is one of empathy. Um, I like to have an empathetic approach to the solutions I carry. I try to put myself um, or my family in the shoes as the customer. How would they leverage this tool? How would they leverage this service? Um, Would they want to use it? Would they want to... Would it add value to their lives? And so um, one of the things we do is we create personas. Okay, so here are the personas of people who might use this product, and am I catering a uh, a solution for persona A, B, C, or D, or whatever persona you choose? And that gets kind of contagious because at the end of the day, um, you really get to see what you're doing adds value back to the customer. And then you put a little bit more extra in it. So when you get a call at 2 a.m. of an issue, you feel a vested interest like, yeah, it might be disruptive to me at 2 a.m. because I'm getting this call. But on the other end, a customer or client can't get something accomplished and we're disrupting their lives. So it really creates a sense of ownership, accountability um, through an empathetic approach. Now, empathy doesn't sell products. I understand that. Empathy doesn't increase revenue. But it does change the behavior um, it creates a mission for everyone to kind of follow, um, and for me, that's always important. Whether you're uh, a KG veteran of 60 years of of you know of life, or you're a millennial just coming out of college looking for that great opportunity, missions matter to everyone. So creating that mission and driving people towards that mission, I think, is a huge deal um, to get things to go.
2: On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Ron, for sharing your views on how organizations can transform themselves so that they can focus less on selling and more on solving customer problems and deliver an overall better outcome for all involved. So thanks so much. No,
3: thank you, Sanjay. This was great and a great dialogue and I appreciate the opportunity.
2: Thanks once more. Uh, Please like us on Facebook listeners. Hope you got some values out out of uh, what we discussed here today and search for CTN. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. And of course, we have podcasts on iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, Google, you name it, we are there. Please listen, rate us so that more people discover us and benefit. So thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.